Hello from Valley Baptist Church in Eureka, Montana. Valley Baptist Church is an independent Baptist church serving the greater Eureka, Montana area. Pastor Matt Schrepfer is the pastor. His wife, Juanetta, serves along his side. I'd like to ask everyone to take a moment and prepare your heart before the Lord as Valerie plays through Bow the Knee. Let's open our songbooks to number 23, Worthy of Worship, and sing that unto the Lord as we begin today. Number 23, Worthy of Worship.
Thank you, Joshua and Valerie, and thanks for the good singing, everyone. It is good to gather together today, knowing that the one we worship is worthy of all our worship. It's good to have David and Jenna with us today visiting, and I hope it's not just a one-time visit. Get to know them as we have time together later to fellowship as a, a church family. I would like to begin in prayer and ask for God's guidance and blessing in the hour ahead, the hour together. Father God, you are in every way perfect and holy and righteous and worthy. And Father God, I ask you that in this hour, in our hearts, in our minds, in the words we say, in the actions we do throughout the week ahead, that in every way you would be the one who is honored, glorified, and worshipped. And Lord God, I thank you that we can enjoy fellowship together today. In every aspect of our service, I ask for your special blessing. And that ultimately, Jesus Christ would be honored as our Savior, as the one who was our substitute on Calvary's cross, shedding his blood for the remission of our sins. And after being buried in the tomb, rising to life again on the third day, just as the scripture tells us, Father, we thank you that we have a risen Savior and that through faith in him we're forgiven our sins and have eternal life. And Father, I ask you that if someone needs that today, they would make sure of that before they leave this place. And Heavenly Father, I do pray for those who aren't with us. I, I realize Barb is helping family who is dealing with some difficult physical issues, and I ask you, Heavenly Father, that you would give her your strength and wisdom as she cares for uh, especially the one in her family. Father God, I also ask you that in the nation of Israel, over in the Middle East, as certainly you know the details of what is going on there, we ask you, Heavenly Father, that you would protect that nation and give wisdom to the leadership, Netanyahu and others. Father God, I ask you that ultimately your will would be worked out through this recent war activity and that ultimately all things would come together just as you have foreordained in the ages past for that nation. We realize that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior just as well. And Father God, I ask you that through this, somehow they would hear about Jesus Christ as their Messiah and their Savior and believe in him. Father God, again, thank you for this hour together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1 as we have been looking into this epistle written by God's penman James. James chapter 1. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. I've titled this, Turning Trials into Triumphs, and this is the third in a row with that title and the last. However, God intends for trials in our lives to make us better and not bitter. Apollo 13 was launched on April 1st, I'm sorry, April 11th, that would have been funny, April 1st. Anyway, On April 11, 1970, as the third planned lunar landing mission, two days after the launch, as Apollo 13 approached the moon to begin under, uh, I'm sorry, lunar operations, an an explosion occurred that caused the service module to lose its oxygen and electric power and other systems, including its capability to perform an abort maneuver for a direct return to Earth. The crew quickly moved to the lunar module, which became their lifeboat, if you will, in space. All of the systems in the command module, which remained functional, were deactivated to preserve its capability to re-enter the atmosphere upon return to the Earth. The lunar module had no heat shield and therefore could not be used for Earth re-entry. At the time of the explosion, the return time to the Earth was over four days. Because the lunar module did not have enough oxygen or water for this length of time, it became necessary to use the lunar module uh, landing engine for a major propulsion maneuver in space to change the spacecraft's path and speed its return to Earth. They needed to shorten that period of time, overcoming numerous life-threatening problems, including near-freezing temperatures and excess carbon dioxide in the lunar module. Apollo 13 successfully re-entered the Earth's atmosphere for a landing in the Pacific Ocean on April 17, 1970, over five days after launch. That is a much shorter mission than they had intended. In 1995, there was a film titled Apollo 13, and crewman James A. Lovell coined those famous words, Houston, we have a problem. Remember? In Houston, a member of NASA's team said to the mission commander, Gene Kranz, this could be the worst disaster NASA has ever faced. Kranz replied, With all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. And it was. We often tend to think of victories as life's finest hours, but the opposite is often true. Trials should call forth Faith and perseverance and prayer in ways that victories seldom do. Heavenly Father, I ask you that as we look again into this chapter in the Bible that was penned by your penman, James, as you inspired it, Father God, I ask you that you would be the one who teaches us and that the Holy Spirit would have free course in us and that this passage would be used of you to make a difference in our lives for the rest of our lives. That when we face trials or struggles, we turn to you 
counting those things joy for the betterment of ourselves and for especially your honor and glory. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Since we started in the epistle penned by James, it was inspired by God, of course, we have learned some about what made this man of God tick. James grew up in Joseph and Mary's home, as did Jude, and more notably, the Lord Jesus Christ. After the Lord's resurrection, and James seeing his risen Lord and Savior, he believed. You know, if more people could do like that today, the evidence and the biblical record are overwhelming. Christ rose again. He did. James soon caught fire for the Lord and became a pillar in the church, as Paul wrote, and was pastor of the Jerusalem church and was one who the Apostle Paul would consult from time to time and the one who God used to pen this letter to Christians who had faced persecution and were scattered abroad. He writes in verse 1, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. In the first eight verses, which is our text for the day, James gave us four imperatives, four necessary attitudes and actions that will turn trials into triumphs. The first imperative we've looked at is count. The word count, it all joy. Trials will come, not if. Trials will come into our lives, dear Christians. Trials are intended to make us better, not bitter. So before a trial comes, determine already in your heart to face it with a joyful confidence in God's power. And the second imperative we've looked at as well is know, the word know. Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You must count it all joy and know this, that the trying of your faith works patience. It is an understanding mind. We need to know it. Our faith will be tested. Maybe yours is being tested right now. But our faith will be tested. And testing works for us, not against us. Testing should be allowed to help us grow and mature. The third imperative we looked at is let. That means surrender your will to God's will. In verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We've looked at that. Surrender your will to God's will. God will not work in us to make us better through trials without our consent and our participation. So surrender your will to his. Let patience have her perfect work in your life. The fourth imperative we're looking at today is ask. Verses 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That is an imperative. It's like a command that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's our text for today. The fourth imperative is ask. Now, to ask of God, that's simple enough, right? (laughs) Seems like it should be. All Christians are good about asking God, right? We ask God all the time, maybe even too much, I suppose. (laughs) Sometimes, How many of you have children? Okay, quite a batch of us. How many of you are children? All of us, okay. Do children ask parents for what they want or need often enough? Well, it seems like it's too often, right? We did it as kids. The first several weeks they cry because they can't communicate otherwise. And you learn what that cry means. There's a different sound for a different problem or a need or a want. 
And then once they learn that a certain pitch in their cry <laughs> or a tone gets a faster response, then that button is always pushed. The cute little thing turns red in the face and fists sometimes clenched and feet kick. You've seen that. And the parents are shocked and wonder, where did he learn to do that? And look at the other, you know, parent. Like, did you teach? No. Later on, when Junior can say a few words like dada or mama or whatever, the one of the first words they learn is no. And we try to teach please and thank you. However, Junior does not seem to like the new game very well and points and grunts and looks disgusted at you when you can't figure out exactly what he wants. You get the picture. And then time goes on and Junior grows up after going through various stages and repeats the first few years as an adult. <laughs> now, Junior seeks the world over to find his wife. He has interest in many trades and jobs and hobbies and things and pursues most of them. And over time, his finances are a mess. His marriage is even worse. His job is frustrating, and his kids, you guessed it, are just like he was, or is. They act like him. Even going to the church has lost its appeal. He's fighting everything. He looks up to heaven and just raises his hands as, what's gone wrong? Can you hear God say, you didn't ask. God wants us to ask. The Bible is full of examples of folks asking sometimes and neglecting to ask other times. When King Saul would ask of God for direction and discernment, he was victorious in his tri and his trials turned into triumphs. When King Saul did not ask God, he was defeated, depressed, and disheartened. There are, or were many times, that David asked God for direction and discernment. And his trials, too, were turned into triumphs. Here's a couple examples in Second Samuel 2. Verse 1 begins, And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go? And he said unto Hebron. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 19, And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. In these and many other cases, David did face trials, and trouble came his way, but because he asked of God, and obeyed God's word, he was triumphant over those trials and had victories over difficulty. And David was not frustrated. He was not angry and had a joy when he faced a trial. On the other hand, <laughs> David was a man not too different than many Christians, and sometimes he did not ask. He neglected to ask. And he did it his way. He marched ahead on his own, and guess what? When trials came, he was not triumphant. He faced defeat. He faced difficulty and embarrassment and frustration, and he fought fights that he did not need to fight. Even King David. James addresses this very thing to the Christians that he wrote to. Go to James 4, verses 1 and 2. James 4, verses 1 and 2. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts at war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because he ask not. 
James is addressing the very thing we're talking about. People, even many Christians, are constantly fighting and warring against each other in their homes, in the workplace, whatever, at the car dealership or whatever. And sadly, even in their churches sometimes, they're struggling against each other and they want what they want and they want it their way. After all, their way is the best way, right? And they have selfish desires and lust for a variety of things, but they didn't ask for divine wisdom and direction. I want Valley Baptist Church to be a church that asks. They go about life frustrated and angry and defeated because ye ask not. Back to James 1, verse 5. If any man or any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If any of you lack wisdom... The Greek words translated, if any, can also be translated, whosoever. It's the same word. Whosoever lacks wisdom. It's not a question of who does and who doesn't lack wisdom. It's not if you lack it. All human beings, because we're we're human, lack God's kind of wisdom. And because James wrote much about wisdom... Like in the Proverbs in the Old Testament, James is sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament because he writes a lot about wisdom. And yes, whosoever lacks wisdom, let him ask of a God. And that's me and that's you. There are two basic kinds of wisdom. Man's and God's. Man's which is earthly and God's which is from above which we cannot receive without God giving it to us. Look at chapter 3. James 3, verses 13 through 18. James three thirteen. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. And lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Mm. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That is worth reading again. The wisdom that descends not from above is earthly and sensual and devilish, but, and for where envying and strife is, verse 16, there is confusion and every evil work, but, The wisdom that is from above is first pure. God's wisdom is not tainted by the evil in this world. And it's peaceable, and it's gentle, and it's easy to be entreated, and full of mercy and good fruits. And it's without partiality and without hypocrisy. Man's wisdom can't even touch that. Now, there is knowledge... And then there is wisdom. You've heard that. You've read that. You've studied that, maybe. There are many people who learn a lot of things and add to their knowledge bit by bit, megabyte by megabyte, and terabyte by terabyte, and on it goes. They may even end up with a half dozen extra letters after their name on a piece of paper. But... All of that could be a sad waste if they lack wisdom. It's just a waste if they lack wisdom. Someone once said, knowledge is the ability to take things apart. While wisdom is the ability ability to put them together. (laughs) Knowledge is the ability to take things apart. 
You can dissect it. You can figure out all its components and parts or whatever it may be. While wisdom is the ability to put it together. It's, it's knowledge put to action. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. I have met some people with huge amounts of accumulated knowledge, and so have you, who have very little wisdom. Even in the simplest realm, here's an example. One fellow could not understand why people seemed unfriendly and would not talk with him for very long, and he was brilliant. Yet he lacked the basic wisdom that bathing more than once every few weeks and washing his clothes made a person more pleasant to be around. He had a lot up here, but he really didn't have any wisdom, did he? Some don't have the wisdom to check the oil in their car for a long period of time and then wonder what happened when the engine quit. Others don't have the wisdom to prepare and eat balanced and healthy meals, and so on it goes. Of course, I've been talking about man's wisdom or the lack of it, yet true wisdom comes from God, and he tells us, dear Christian, to ask for it. Ask him for it. If we ask for his wisdom, he promises to give it liberally. The Greek word is and it means bountifully. He'll give it to us bountifully if we ask, but not if we don't. Not only will he give it bountifully, but he upbraideth not, it says in verse 5. And in other words, this Greek word sounds odd to our ears. It means to cast the teeth. And that doesn't mean throw me your dentures. Please don't throw me. It means that God will not scold us. He won't scold us, okay? Be confident in his promise. Don't be afraid to ask. He won't scold you when you ask him for his wisdom. He won't scold you over that. Even if it seems like an issue that may be silly to other people, God is safe. He is safe and he won't scold you. He upbraideth not let's go to 1 Kings for just a moment and see an example of this. I, it's fun as we read through our Bibles to come across something that, oh wow, that reminds me of and is an example of what we just saw in James, for example. In 1 Kings chapter 3, I'll start at verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. This is an example of what we're talking about in James, or what James wrote about. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart, To judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but ask, ask thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee. Before thee, neither after thee, shall any arise like unto thee. Solomon asked for God's wisdom. Did God give it to him? 
Oh, yes. History, Bible, especially Bible scholars and those who study these things recognize other than Jesus Christ, who is God in this world, was God in this world, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. God gave him liberally, bountifully, that wisdom that he asked for. Not only does James explain what to ask for, that's wisdom in James 1.5, but he tells us how to ask. We are to ask in faith, verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. <laughs> for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. You've seen that. Many of you have been to the ocean. You've seen it on lakes. And it's just bobbing up and down. It's unstable. Up one minute, down the next. And that's human kind of wisdom. I actually found along the shore of Adak Island in Alaska a glass float from Japan. It made it all the way from Japan to Alaska bobbing up and down on those waves. And I kept it. God does not want his children to be like that, tossed with the waves of doubt. That's the idea. He wants us to ask in faith. And that means believing it, he's able. In our Sunday school opening, we sang, he is able. He is. Ephesians 4 verse 14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. God does not want us to be unstable and doubtful, tossed with the waves of doubt. And verse 8 emphasizes this truth where it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. What about verse 7? For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Hmm. Well, faith in God is not merely what you think. Let not that man think just merely. Faith is more than what you might think one minute and change the next. It's not like that. The man whose mind is divided either in what he thinks or what or wants or in God's sufficiency Though he prays, having no true faith in God can get no answer for it. So, to start with, we have an imperative that will help us turn trials into triumphs. Now, we need to see that God wants us to ask, but there is a condition on our asking. He tells us how. In faith is the first one, and that is our Faith in him, his power, his sufficiency, and not at all depending on our supposed sufficiency. All on him. Does that mean that if we have enough faith, then God is obligated to give us whatever we ask for? Some people teach that. In answer to that question, let's consider a few things. Number one, not only James, but Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 7, as Tom read for us, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus added these conditions to asking in faith. In John fifteen seven, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. That's a condition, if. In John fifteen sixteen, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. That's Christ's authority. We need to abide in him, believing in faith, and praying that in Christ's authority, those are conditions. In our Bible conference a week and a half ago, or two weeks ago, First John came up several times. Verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 and 16 say, 
And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will. You can't ask outside God's will and expect him to give it to you. But according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask that, and we know that, we have the petitions that we desire of him. So, one more condition. Go back to James chapter 4. James 4. And it's, if we ask in faith, that's a good start, certainly. We need to ask according to God's will and Jesus' authority, abiding in him and his word. But James 4 verse 3 says this, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Amiss is kakose in Greek, and it means diseased, sick, or evil. It means diseased, sick, or evil. You ask diseased or sick or evil things. God is not obligated to give that to you because there were some in James' day that asked amiss. And so I'll just summarize. God has promised his wisdom if we ask him. If we ask him in faith. If we are abiding in Christ and the word of God. If we ask in Jesus' name, recognizing his authority. If we ask according to God's will, as opposed to our own will. If we ask without evil or sick intentions. Then, verse 5 is real. If any man, if, I'm sorry, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Here, through the pen of James and the inspiration of God, we have been given another imperative that will help us turn trials into triumphs, and it's ask God. One more illustration. Dr. Warren Worsby, many of us have enjoyed reading him, once had a secretary who went through some great trials. She had a stroke. Her husband had gone blind. Then he had been taken to the hospital where they thought he would die. On Sunday, Dr. Wearsby assured her that he was praying for her. What are you asking God to do? She asked. And startled, Dr. Wearsby replied, I'm asking God to help you and strengthen you. I appreciate that, she said. But pray about one more thing. Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all of this. I appreciate that. What she was going through, God intended for a purpose. And she didn't want to waste it. Juanetta and I had a dear friend named Myra. And I think of her often. She developed cancer and it was quickly advancing. And when we talked with her, she asked us to pray for her that she would be brave. That doesn't mean about the pain of the cancer and the treatments and all of that that she was going to be going through over the next few months. And she did live a few months. You know what her bravery was about? That as I go through this and the treatments and meeting people I've never met before and struggling and suffering, that I'll be brave to tell them about Jesus. She didn't want that to be wasted. She knew the last months of her life had a purpose. She understood James 1.5 that God can give you the wisdom to glorify him in life's trials and to turn trials into triumphs. So there it is, dear Christian. Will you obey this imperative? These four imperatives when you face a trial? It's right here for us. The choice is yours. As a Christian, we have the ability to do that, and we can, when we face 
any kind of trial, divers, temptations, it says in verse 2, we can count it all joy. We can find a joy in it knowing that God has a purpose. It may make us better. It may affect someone else. But let's not waste all of it, okay? If you're not a Christian, you need to start there. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I don't know the hearts of everyone here, but you do. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, that you would do a work in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our prayer life, that we would ask in faith, not wavering, and ask according to your will, not our own, and not for things that are wrong. But Father God, I ask you that you've, you've even told us it's a command to ask for your wisdom. I ask you that we would be those who do so regularly, knowing that you give wisdom that is infinitely beyond our own because of who you are. If any person here today, Father God, is not saved, is not born again by faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins, his death, his burial, his resurrection in their behalf, that today they would make sure of it and talk with me about that. Even if they have questions, Father God, I ask you that they would ask of you, but also talk with me about that. That solution to that problem you have given to us and is available to anyone. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, that they would make sure of that today before this day passes. But Father, there are many issues in our lives in this room that are struggles in one way or another for us, some overwhelmingly difficult. And I know that you have the the wisdom that you can impart to us to make the right decisions and choices and to bring honor to you and even find joy somehow, someday, in this trial, knowing that you've intended it to make us better and not bitter. Father God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to ask uh, for you to take up your hymnals and we will sing 385, Trust and Obey, as we're dismissed. Everyone, please stand number 385 in our songbooks. Let's sing verses 1, 3, and 5. The odd ones. The verses 1, 3, and 5. With the Lord and the light of <coughs> what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his good will. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our joy doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but as last if we trust. Oh
Valley Baptist Church has multiple services. Sunday school is at 9.45 a.m. The morning service is at 11 a.m. The evening service starts at 6 p.m. There's also a Wednesday night Bible study at 6 p.m. Additional men and women Bible studies are also conducted on a regular basis. Other activities include monthly potluck meals, monthly men's breakfasts, and much more. Valley Baptist Church is located at 64627 Highway 37 and that's in Eureka, Montana. Our phone number is 406-889-3134. Thank you for joining us for this audio sermon.